You're listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life with Dan Simon. Just struck very, almost like a, it was just kind of this self-realization that I was such a judgmental individual. You know, like untouchable hubris in, in that realization that kind of enabled me to act out and I did judge other people. I, uh, I fear the worst. I got involved in drugs very early. I, uh, I was always, as a rebel, again, I, I hung out with, with, a, with a crew of, of guys that, that were thrill seekers. And, and that certainly the law didn't, you know, the law was not a sort of boundary for the adventure. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened, but I cert- I wasn't hanging in, 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 you know, I wasn't hanging with a kind of positive crowd before I found music. He took me under his wing, like, you know, when he was off the road, he, you know, he, he, I was over at his house every night. And if he did a local show, you know, I was backstage, you know, <laughs> you're talking about, you know, 14, 15 years old. And there's no shortage of dreams, man. There's just like wherever you turn, whatever your interests, whatever, you know, there's no shortage of creativity. There's no shortage of, of being creative. Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life, a podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? That's always been my personal mission to remind people the truth of who they are, to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. In today's show, you will meet John. You know, it's not easy to give up a career and a lifestyle that you've been in for 30 plus years that you're comfortable with and you're accomplished in, but that's exactly what John did. At 56 years old, being a professional musician and a very successful one his entire adult life, he decided to leave that career and pursue happiness and fulfillment in completely different ways. And it wasn't because there was anything wrong with what he'd been doing. He just felt that it was time to move on, to change, to do something differently. And as John says, there's no shortage of dreams. There's no shortage of creativity. Whatever you want, is right out there in front of you, and you just have to go out there and chase after it. So my hat's off to John for pursuing something different and taking the road uh, much less traveled. Enjoy the show. I uh, Actually, I'm excited by where I am in life today. I um, will be 58 in November. I have been living the last eight months really in a new chapter that uh, I am very uh, just excited to be in and uh, it felt kind of like a long time coming and I I do you know I attribute uh, part of the kind of impetus to do what what my wife and I have done 
you know, in part to my experience at the Modern Elder Academy that you and I both share. Um, but just to cut to the chase, I was living in Los Angeles since 1999. Uh, I was a professional touring musician. My wife uh, runs a variety of businesses on an entrepreneurial level, and she's a um, someone who you may want to very well talk to because uh, she's got a great story too, and she's an MEA graduate, as it were. But uh, I'll tell I'll tell her about this. She's actually in the room. But that said, we uh, we were we had a really full and busy urban life that was really wonderful and expansive for many years we lived in venice beach uh like i said i was a touring musician and the phone was ringing regularly so uh, i was working regularly uh what instrument what instruments do you play uh primarily bass i'm a bass player both electric and upright and um and that's something that carried me through you know a long that's that's just a whole topic i mean i, I started very young and was very lucky and uh, was able to uh, experience a lot by being a musician that I'm very great, <coughs> excuse me, very grateful for. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, as much as, as much as it was a, a gift, I think near the end of things starting to slow down for me, it was a co-writing, if you will. Uh, my, I was getting less and less busy as a touring musician. Um, and I say I was probably co-writing it. I think it started back in 2005 or so. I went on a vacation to Belize and uh, was struck very, um, just struck very, almost like a, it was like just kind of this self-realization that I was such a judgmental individual. <laughs> and um, I started to just see my own game theory in relationships. I, I, I come can I ask, how, can yeah, I ask you, John, to, what, what happened in Belize that all of a sudden that hit you? Um, I, I read a book that was related to The Course in Miracles, and it it kind of addressed my jadedness, you know, and kind of justified it, but at the same time didn't support it. And it opened me up to the fact that uh, I wasn't, I was not holding people in, in a space that was by any means um, sovereign or, or just kind of respectful. I think, you know, again, what, what, the book kind of just exposed my game theory insofar as like it being in the music business. I felt like so many of my relationships revolved around work, being a successful working musician. And my social life revolved around that with other people in that realm and relationships at that point, it, it became difficult for me to uh, see where my sincerity was in what I was bringing forth to the table as just a, a an individual and what what was driving my survival modes just to be good you know just to be conscientious just to be a team player be good in the locker room be good on the field you know uh metaphorically speaking um that uh became uh you know that was that was really apparent to me that i had just kind of like used 
relationships more or less as a means to kind of gate, you know, what was, what was a meaningful individual to me was somebody who obviously could, uh, help me, uh, be making a living as a, as an artist. And, and, and that said, don't, you know, I do feel like in, in the midst of all that, you know, sincerity is experienced and you, you know, you do have these bursts of, of vulnerability with individuals and you do fall in love and, you know, uh, it's not like, uh, everything is just a ruthless kind of game for whatever many years that I'm referring to here. But I, that book, you know, was, was instrumental. It was called, um, by Gary Renard. Was called disappearance of the universe, and as I said, it was very much a a supportive work of a of a course in miracles, which I have used as a kind of um, system for many many years. You know, before I had read that book, you know, to you know post that book, and you know, I I still kind of refer back to it from time to time as kind of a uh, a kind of thought system that. I appreciate and kind of gets me in a space that I appreciate. So that said, you know, that was a turning point and the co you know, and I saw my. Was now was that eight was John, was that eight months ago? You referred earlier to eight eight months ago was a whole other shift where we just kind of bailed on LA. But what really was a shifting moment for my life was about 2005, six, I think it was 2005 the end of 2005 and into 2006 uh it where i really just started to see my judgment of others and we'll we'll get off this because i'm long-winded and you you already see that but that said you know it was very it was it was screaming to me and i and i realized that there were really a lot of love Hmm. (laughs) i'll start crying there was just a lot of lot of lovely lovely people around me that really were uh, ready to see me as lovely and uh and that there was just a lot to that i was cutting myself off from in that kind of aloof place that i had created for myself and uh and at that juncture i had been working with an artist for about 10 years and it was there was just some cognitive dissonance with him being with him there was just there was some good things and some counter things and the more time was continuing on into that 2006 early 2006 the dissonance really felt um palpable and he let me go and it was i i welcomed it and uh i and i i continued to work quite some time after that for a variety of artists that i found super satisfying and i really really uh still look back and have some moments uh, with different you know, tours, different uh, experiences where it was really a magical, lovely way for a man to, to travel, make money, uh, experience the world. Um, where I am now is drastically different insofar as uh, slowly, I, you know, I, I attribute it to the business. I attribute it to me going through my kind of 48 to 52, the uh, astrological term is Chiron or cryon return, which would coincide with, you know, with a, a midlife inventory, if you will, not necessarily crises, right? But in that moment, that kind of, I was still working professionally, but in that uh, 
48 to 52 realm, I really felt like I had kind of created a career for myself that wasn't in line quite so much with who I was as an individual. And, and so, and so in, in that realization, I, you know, I'm sure my behavior reflected it more and more. Although, like I said, I was generally very good in the locker room and on the field. I kept, you know, whatever was bothering me about the, you know, I, I use these metaphors sports-wise because they just apply to the, the touring musician uh, scenario. You know what I mean? I just, I didn't let my personal things get in the way of my relationships on the road, you know, kept it all pretty clean. But at the same time, again, the business did change and I did change. And, so let's, uh, let me stop yeah. this a sec, John. If we could, if we could back up about, um, what I'm curious about is, so mm-hmm. uh, back in 2005, 2006 is when you seem to, to first identify that um, you had a heavy judgment of others, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, most of us, <laughs> most of us have learned. It's really we, tough. It's really tough not to. <laughs> well, you know, third, yeah, yeah. You know, if, generally, if you were judged yourself, that's that's just what you pass. That's just what you pass on. Yes. Um, so, what do you think at that point when you realized at first what was the biggest fear you had that that spawned all the judgment of other people? Where do you know where it was coming from? Oh, sure. I think so. I mean, that goes way back, though. You know, it certainly goes way back before. I I would have to say, you know, early teens. You know early teens, probably earlier, I, I, I was a kind of, I, I, I kind of had this epiphany at an early age that was, was pretty magical and metaphysical, where I kind of had this kind of Frankel-esque kind of epiphany at 13 or 14, where it was like, you know, my perception of the day is as crucial as the day, and some, maybe the day isn't quite as bad as I'm perceiving it to be and what's out there and what am i what am i projecting and i actually had this kind of epiphany at a very early age but that also came with um a kind of smug arrogance and acting out that um protected me from feeling uh quite less than right you know by all other kids around me you know what I mean? It was kind of like, yep. it was smart. It was epiphany. It was epiphanictic, if that's even a word. And it was kind of magical and, and metaphysical. And again, it was, it, you know, to have that knowledge and go, wow, I can choose my feelings here. And I can choose, and, and that's a powerful realization, that I can choose to see this situation and choose to be grateful about it as opposed to just, be at the kind of end of my emotions you know that was kind of the thing but in so doing i acted out crazily you know i had this kind of like you know like untouchable hubris in in that realization that kind of enabled me to act out and i did judge other people you know i judged other people i grew up in a kind of hippie town i was a musician an arty hippie kid and i judged everybody pretty harshly from that platform and, but, but, was but it, it was that? largely a defense from you know earlier earlier pain of uh of feeling a fear of not being good enough yeah simple point you know just very simple 
because the epiphany, I, I didn't have that epiphany till, for me till much, much later in life that I actually had a choice in terms of whether to look at the negatives or to look yes. at the bad stuff or look at the good stuff. And you just. No, look. I know. It's a crazy thing for a, an eighth grader to like put together. And I don't know how I did it. But it, it, it just, it was like, it was, it was like a, a kind of rush that I used, you know, on girls, on, I mean, I used it on everybody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know where it came from, but I, I, I'm sorry I interrupted you. That's all right. But the, the, the idea that you could choose how you want to feel is different than deciding to be manipulative or judgmental i mean that's that's not the same thing right no but it doesn't necessarily cancel it either does it well no <laughs> it can co it can coexist and again i mean that knowledge that we you know that we're we're talking about here of choosing choosing a response and stepping back and that can you know that in i you i that to me was at, at 13 14 was just kind of it just made me kind of smug and i was a good bass player like naturally so that made me smug you know what i mean and and i was afraid you know i was afraid all the time you know of of ultimately if you found out who I really was, and this isn't something that I, I'm, I'm unique. I think so many people share this. It's like if sure. you find out who I really am, you won't, you'll hate me. I'm, I'm miserable, you know. So who I'm gave? Miserable. So who gave you that message? Good question. Uh, you know, dad leaving early could have had something to do with it. You know, I, I guess. I mean, that's, that's the kind of scent. That's the kind of. How old, how old, how old were you? Six, you know, six, totally remember images of, uh, you know, my father having another boy somewhere else that was lovable. Really, you know, so there you go. <laughs> you know, it's making me cry now, but uh, it's all right. that was a very palpable image at a very young age, you know, and, uh, and, and just having a, you know, my mom, I, she's passed. I, I hate to speak only of her, but uh, she was a little insane. So it wasn't a very stable, um, you know, I didn't feel, I, I almost felt like uh, my father just split. And like I said, there was a more lovable me somewhere else. And, um, and my mother, you know, I was by no means an anchor. You know what I mean? She wasn't a crazy uh, alcoholic. You know what I mean? It wasn't like that kind of thing. But she she was she held a job and she did the best she could. And I love her to death, you know. But she was a little crazy. So I think on a kind of quiet background noise, subconscious level, uh, I, I I did not feel safe. Yeah. I, I attribute all those things to uh, my my feelings of. Of um, uh, yeah. you know just you know being judged and all, also uh, being judged unworthy. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's it. Well, and you can understand in terms of things that happened exactly why that would make sense to feel that way. And uh, you know that the the interesting things about uh, that I like to study are how people respond to those things. And, and, in almost all cases, especially going back 40, 50 years, you know, there wasn't a recognition <laughs> that, uh, 
any of these traumas, any of these things happen in your life that uh, that you're there's anything to actually do about it. You know, yes, I think exactly. Right. You know, I don't think uh, you know. Growing up in my life, that was the only um, the only emotion for a, a a boy to have was really to be to express was to be angry. Yes. Any other any other emotion was really not not even in on the spectrum. You can be pissed off. You can be angry. Um, but to be appreciative or grateful or to actually have sadness or Fear. Realize, realize that you, yeah, you know, you're not supposed to be afraid of anything. That's right. That's a huge one. So it's, yeah. um, so if you had to summarize when you left, when you became an adult, when you left home, what was the, the lesson that you had been given in terms of what life was about and what you were about? How would you summarize it there? I felt when I left the house, uh, I, I felt pretty safe and I felt pretty ready. Um, the first, I left at like 18 and kind of, you know, came back after about four or five months for a summer. And that was to my mom's house. My mom raised me, of course. And, um, uh, and then I was ready to go again. And I was, and again, I, I had confidence that I was going to, to find my way. And I had enough faith in my spirit and love of music at that point that really, uh, I'm just realizing this now, but that I really had so much faith in uh, music that I just knew that what I would do is, is pursue it. And, you know, I was, I was, my mom was, I was raised in that generation where I just always had chores. And, you know, by the time I was like 13, my mother was getting these summer jobs with her friends, you know, it was just like, you know, so I was already able to work and I do, I, you know, and I just moved to New York city and just kind of worked. I never went to university, um, just started working on jobs and pursued music. But, you know, I did feel, and, and I didn't feel when I left my, you know, sometimes when I'd have financial difficulties, my mother would make suggestions to me like that I felt were so below me at that point. You know, I, I felt like I kind of had separated myself from their version of what was what one was capable of. So you know where, I mean? where was the confidence in terms of music? Was it in your love of music or was it your, your skill, your ability to be a, a musician uh, at that point? Where I knew I was, I knew I, I was received really well in my hometown. You know, so, and my hometown was pretty musical, you know, and, and I knew I was pretty good and always, you know, for the longest time, I just, I always got the gig as it were. And so I trusted in my talent, I guess, is, is, is more than, you know, I loved playing at that point and I loved music. It was kind of, it was a defining, uh, it was just a defining facet for so many years of my, that early part of my life. But at the same time, I, I did, I did feel like I was capable. I was, I was, um, qualified. That's, that's the word. I felt qualified both in talent and somehow in my aesthetic, you know, that I could, uh, that I could, I could do what, and, and I had some mentors at an early age. I have to say in my teen years, I had two, three music male mentors. They had a huge shaping in that. I'm, I imagine now, you know, think, thinking back, because they were, they were, you know, um, surrogate dads, you know, 
you know, I feared their, their anger at me is the same I would a father. But at the same time, they were my kind of friends. But at the same time, they, they showed me, like, you can do this. You can be a bass player and make a living at it. And you start here, you know, and you do it this way. And so it's different than trying to be the star, right? It's different than trying to be Elvis, to just be a working bass player. And, and they showed me what that was, you know, I, that I could be a working bass player and it was much more achievable than, um, uh, you know, being a pop star, you know, like you're going to be the next Frankie, whatever, you know? So yeah, yeah, that that's... gave me, that gave me a real kind of foothold on, wait a minute. Like, you know, when I was 15, having like the guy who lived across the street from me was a professional guitar player who played with Frankie Valley in the four seasons in the seventies with all those hits, wow. like, who, you know, who loves you pretty baby and all that stuff. And, you know, he took me under his wing. Like, you know, when he was off the road, he, you know, he, I was over his house every night. And if he did a local show, you know, I was backstage, you know, (laughs) you're talking about, you know, 14, 15 years old, you know, being a good bass player then, you know, and, and knowing it and then, and then being shown like, Hey, you know, everybody's just backstage eating, you know, sandwiches with their wives before they go and play this show that I could do too. You know, I know how to play this music. You know what I mean? So it gave me a, a very, uh, positive kind of like okay green light this is this isn't this isn't that far fetched a dream you know if you do the work and you become good at it it's just like a skilled labor as if you if you will you know so well you know what's huge well you know it's very interesting to me because my experience uh i i never developed any musical talent i had um uh, either artistic or musical. Uh, I remember when I was uh, quite young, I don't know, nine, ten, uh, taking guitar lessons, and I was probably a bit really immature and couldn't focus and stay in the same place. And uh, so, it, it, and then I was in junior high, and I, I remember trying to play the drums and having a drum pad. And I don't even remember why that didn't that didn't pan out. <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but uh, something else took priority that's exactly uh, what happens at that age you know it's like all the priorities start to shake out you know? but i'm just i'm just thinking based on what you've described that uh that i didn't have any influence and i had a you know nice upbringing and my and, and you know my parents were there but were certainly supportive of anything i wanted to do but i didn't have an influence that said hey you could do this or you could do that you know, you really ought to put more effort into it. And then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and maybe I, I, maybe I had some of that influence. I didn't even pay attention to it, but it's right. just, it's just interesting to me that. And that, mind you, so, a lot of this, this is, is e- so much easier to articulate at 57 than it was, you know, when it was all going down, it all just felt like kind of like, you know, oh yeah, this is my life. You know, I, I, I you know what I mean? It didn't feel like a lesson back then. But those influ- those but for as you've described it, those influences were huge in terms Absolutely. of giving giving you the idea and the confidence you could do that. And Correct. it just kind of makes me think, you know, how how many especially in today's world, you know, so many single parent homes and uh, 
and uh, people just struggle to make ends meet where the kids have almost no in, uh, no positive influence or no idea what they can accomplish because uh, you certainly had your challenges as well, but you did have, and I'm just wondering what would have happened had the musical influences not shown up. If you hadn't pursued the mu- musical, would your life turned out? Obviously I fear though. I, I actually, yeah, no, I, I, because I was a rebel always, uh, I fear the worst. Uh, I think I, uh, I fear the worst. I got involved in drugs very early. I, uh, I was always as a rebel again. I, I hung out with, with a, with a crew of, of guys that, that were thrill seekers and, and that certainly the law didn't, you know, the law was not a sort of boundary for the adventure. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened, but I cert- I wasn't hanging in, 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 you know, I wasn't hanging with a kind of positive crowd before I found music. And, uh, and when I found music, it just kind of like, you know, I just became that kid that just sat on the end of his bed, you know, instead of went out and did stuff. It was like, where's John? He's still in his room playing. You know what I mean? Just, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? And it, it was just, uh, man. <laughs> You know, you, just sharing this with you, I uh, I haven't really reflected on this in sequence like we are today. It's really, uh, it's very clear to me. <laughs> it's almost divine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really kind of, I, 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 uh, I was kind of just lost at sea. And fortunately, you know, and I had a stepdad and, you know, and, and I had it like, again, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, dep- I, it, I never felt like I was living a deprived childhood, I, you know. There was a part of me as a young boy that was grateful that I didn't have to answer to my father, certainly as a teenager. Um, I, you know, I had, you know, a lot more freedom than I ever would have. And, you know, at the same time, the skill set to confront a man with, uh, you know, professionally, let's say later on in life with my dissatisfaction or what I saw as, as, as a good choice, you know, I'm just using what many men have to deal with, with their fathers, with their life choices and their fathers approving or disapproving and, and, and what, how that might galvanize one, uh, you know, not having that, um, is, is, you know, it's just the way it's been. But, uh, at the same time, you know, I did have those other guys. But I gotta, I'm still gonna assume that when your father left at six, there's a part of you, a six year old that's, still pissed off it feels like you were deserted that's oh yeah absolutely as my dear friend said yeah but that little guy still there it doesn't leave that's right that's right that's right but that little guy and so it's you know it's that is a dance isn't it you know it's a dance because i don't uh i certainly don't subscribe to feeling that that was an oppression I do feel that it was a, you know, uh, a kind of challenge, but I don't feel, that, you know, I don't, uh, I, I choose not to feel victimized by it. I choose to embrace it as kind of my curriculum. So, well, and that's an important distinction, right? It's, it's, it's not being a victim to say this is the effect it had on me at the time and this is the effect it has on me now. Right, and, and you still can make other choices, but that doesn't mean that's it doesn't inform your life and the choices you've made because it's it's a very exactly. po- it's very powerful. Exactly, uh, you just can't deny the again. It's like you 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 you've described it eloquently. You know, it's that little guy coexisting with 
you know, the ability to make uh, choices that aren't driven by that experience. Yeah, and I truly believe that, you know, the, the situation that you, on a spiritual level, that you have growing up is, uh, and, you know, I've had lots of awareness and stories of people that have unbelievably, unbelievable trauma. But I, I always believe that everybody kind of chose it in advance to have, yeah, have, I'm with ex- you. have experiences that, uh, mm-hmm. that they wanted to have and, you know, the things that you could say, shouldn't happen it's bad but no it's that's the way life is we have these experiences and uh, there's stuff yeah. that there's stuff that we learn and we're here to, to to have that experience and see where where it can take us and how we can deal with it not to have everything um be perfect in our lives because it's not the way it works on this planet that i know of. no that's right and i i appreciated your post earlier today about the uh the shaman's heart is that the name of the book i'm curious about it because of the quote in itself Heart of the Shaman, yes. Heart of the Shaman, yeah. That sounds very interesting to me. And I loved the three, you know, just the quote. I don't know if that was you or, or from the book of just the, the kind of three uh, kind of irreconcilable... Uh, Nightmares. <laughs> you know, things that occur. And again, I, I, I really think our grace, you know, it, I really think our grace and meaning is in how we uh, deal with all those things. And that's really where it all comes down to, you know, is in our choice because we're coming full circle. You know, we're coming full circle back to, you know, not being driven by the little boy, you know, in our decision making and, and, and saying, oh, I was a victim and, and, and coming from anger and still, still coming from anger and letting that drive the ship. But instead being able to kind of circum, not circumvent it so much as just breathe around it and to realize that maybe, uh, you know, just in our ability to do that gives us a perspective of self that's broader than the self that's just, you know what I mean? Just our ability to step back in that kind of always stepping back moment isn't in itself kind of miraculous. And, and it's ushering in peace and love and understanding into those situations of chaos and, 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 malevolence or or whatever you know true horror <laughs> yeah and, 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 yeah. To, and to let everybody know from the and the, the quotes that what i put in there was from the book it wasn't mine but it was the night the nightmare of um, of safety the nightmare of uh, of unconditional love and the nightmare right. of, of death yes. and yes. Uh, so i'm just fairly early on into the book but it's how it's actually how you go from the dream of the dream of safety to the nightmare of insecurity, from the dream yes. of a love of unconditional love to yeah, man, it's not unconditional. How do I handle that? And, you know, yes, to, like, to the dream of right, uh, exactly. Again, maybe people are judging me. How do I handle that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why I was intrigued by the whole the title and and quotes. So. Yeah, so cool. let's let's talk about in the time we have re- remaining, John. Yes, um, yes. Let's talk more about judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you? What is your method in terms of in terms of moving beyond uh, the things you noticed back in two thousand five and six about how judgmental you were? How, how what's the uh, what's the process with you in terms of where you want to get to and uh, or, or where you are in terms of 
letting go of the judgments of other people and obviously ultimately of judgment on yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, that is the key, isn't it? I mean, that is, that's the key ultimately, um, is, uh, and, and I think, um, as far as you, what I find interesting about the whole idea of looking at how we're, we're in judgment of others is, is our, oh gosh, how can I word this? I had it better just a second ago. Uh, you, I guess you know because I'm I'm blanking out on trying to be specific. Just to answer me, so let me, sure. I'll answer it generally. Well, let me let me back up a ahead. second and sure, help you sure. and, and help you a little bit in terms sure. of because uh, it's very interesting in terms of you you discovered you had a self awareness that uh, you yes. were you weren't being authentic with other people that right. you were that you were being judgmental and you were you were a team player uh, that. Uh, you know, you had your own agenda, which was to be protective of yourself. You you decided that maybe that wasn't really the way to go. That you really wanted to look at being a different, being uh, different in terms of how you approached yourself in life. And that's really what I'm interested in is how how you've how you've negotiated that once you had that awareness. Because what's interesting yeah. is we can have an awareness that uh, this is not this is really kind of screwed up or why am I thinking this way? But actually changing your life and becoming a different person, there's a lot of momentum and a lot of comfort in continuing to be just the way you've always been. It feels very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so making that leap, you know, in my experience is, is, is very challenging and we generally need help from other people and it's, not something you can generally just do on your own. So mm-hmm. my interest is in how you're make how you're negotiating the change in your life in terms of what kind of person you want to be. How's that happening? Um, broadly, uh, I am no longer a professional musician. Um, for whatever that's that's maybe too complicated to unpack. But that again, it it you know the industry has changed. I'm an older looking guy, uh, you know, at this juncture. Um, I was feeling unhappy in the kind of routine there and what I was able to bring up myself to that context. Um, it, it changed. It stopped. It slowed down. I was able to pull away from that as a career, you know, or it pulled away from me for better or worse. Um, and I was able to embrace it, A. Um, I embraced it. I did not resist it with every fiber. There were parts of me that doubted my um, my own impetus to pull away from it as a career. You know, I was like, wait, mm-hmm. do I really want to do this? Is this really right for me? And that did take a few years. And that did take some good conversations with some friends. And that did take me just spending time away from it all and saying, are you happy? that you're away from this and really experiencing myself honestly without uh, that career piece, without that, you know, that moniker or whatever, you know, what are you, who are you, you know, so important to me all these years, uh, you know, like to let that one go. And it took some years to let it go slowly. And I experimented with it and I kept my fingers in a couple of different pots. And that's not to say that I still don't, I still am involved in music to some degree. I do compo- composing here at home for uh, 
lots a variety of little projects such as you know like infomercials and stuff like that so there is a little mm-hmm. bit of that going on still and i was fortunate enough to just have a buddy in that business that throws me a little bit of work that way but it's no by no means an adult wage but it's a little bit of work mm-hmm. um of course uh through the years i i, I wasn't I, I i just gleaned different skills as a, as a handyman so i'm a cabinet maker you know like <laughs> you know i have a lot of those kinds of skills and so i I fall back on those now in a way that I almost embrace as a kind of sincere, although I haven't been working that much this year. Uh, you know, when I do work, I, I kind of just embrace it with a sort of working man's pride. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I, yeah. I, I really do. I really do appreciate just showing up with good people and, and putting an effort into something that I think is a good idea. So, you know, I'm skilled at so many things at this point that I, I, I really don't care what I do for a living. I pulled away from L.A. My wife and I sold a house. We cashed in on our equity there. We got out of debt. We bought a house outright. Uh, and and we're both in a expansive kind of, what do they say in the MEA, the litmus stage where, you know, everything, my wife's business started to slow down drastically. And we weren't able to really just float the lifestyle that we were living in in LA, and uh, we just decided to 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 take the the equity that we, that we had and uh, live a much simpler life, a much less expensive life. And uh, you know, so we're you know, with that big shift that happened last year, we're still sorting it out. We're still kind of you know, we've got money trickling in from here and there, and I've got royalties from this and there coming in, but. You know, we're still, we're still, we're not ready to retire. We're still looking for means of income. But at this point, it's not the rat race that we had. And it's really about being in alignment with what feels genuine in, in with our, you know, deep heart, you know, our heart selves, you know. Wow. And so, so let me, and, let me, let me stop you yeah. right there, Sec John, because, yeah. it's, you know, we're over time at this point. Yeah. No, we get twenty more seconds, but we may run over a little bit. Um, the 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 choice of and actually, I had this a very similar conversation last week with somebody that was in uh, actually she had been in advertising for forty years and mm-hmm. uh, loved what she did, but kind of everything else around her changed, and she just decided, no, I'm I'm I, I'm done with it. I'm going to do something different. It just seems that you know, in terms of what you described. It's not that you don't like music. It's not that it's you, know, you can't continue. You couldn't continue making a living in it. But you're saying if I want to make sometimes if you want to make changes in your life, you have to start with maybe the biggest thing. And certainly that is, that's what's defined a big part of your whole life for you know for your mm-hmm. most of your adult life. And you decide I'm not. I'm just going to set that aside for now. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. It mm-hmm. seems like that it, one takes a lot of courage, but two that it it opens up space for other things to come in because you know if you if you can't let go of what you're doing then you know, oftentimes there's just no room for anything else to come in so nothing's really going to change and you just mm-hmm. and that's so many people just burn themselves that out that holding pattern yeah that holding pattern and and it's not fair to music <laughs> it's not fair to not fair to anybody it's not right it's not fair to music and it's not fair to you i mean you know it's like when i see uh, I, 
when I see somebody who's 26 who's like popping at the seams to go do a show and jump around and do what, you know, and just be ecstatic doing it, I, I just go, yeah, there you go, kid, go for it, you know. Right. And what's to stop me from jumping around ecstatic doing something right now? But it's not that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's okay that it's not. And that's, I think, the hardest thing for people to to get with, you know, that maybe there's bigger, not bigger, just, you know, there's so many facets of who we are and 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 to and there's no shortage of dreams, man. There's just like wherever you turn, whatever your interests, whatever, you know, there's no shortage of creativity. There's no shortage of, of being creative in, in anything you do. So for me it's like uh you know, I, I, you know, it's like people go, oh, well, what are you doing now for creativity? I was like, well, gosh, everything of my life, I'm being me. <laughs> you know, I'm just being John creatively. It feels completely satisfying, you know, um, without that, uh, without that career, I'm, I really don't care what I do for a living as long as I can just keep being John, you know. There you go. Yeah, yeah. As, as Abraham Hicks says, I don't know if you follow Abraham, but oh, we but, do. But, uh, as Abraham says, there's enough in your vortex for probably twenty or thirty more lifetimes. So, Correct, sir. <laughs> so, so that idea of that uh, there's plenty of dreams in there, and if you're looking forward to uh, what you can pull out of the vortex and what else you yes. can create, that's uh, can and, be very, and- very exciting versus holding on to. Something yeah. that's already gone. Something's in the well, past. Well, and you also—I mean, you tapped onto—I mean, uh, you—you tapped onto um, a kind of source that—that's a big help to my wife. She's a—you know—she's she's a—she's gone and seen Abraham, and and is a big source of uh, of inspiration to her. And I I love what what I'm always exposed to. Um, and again, it's that—it's like if you just get out of your own way. If you just get out of, you know, your own fears, if you get out of your own story, what's in store for you there? And to quiet down that controlling uh, mind that's just constantly in flight or fear, whether you're conscious of it or not, to really quiet that down enough to be quiet for whatever's in the vortex to flow you know that's that's where we're at together at this point we we don't write what we are or what's next it's really like it's it's all there i trust it's all there and uh i i'm happy to just be showing up for it quite honestly that's it well john you have an awesome story i really appreciate you sharing it uh with all of my audience and um you know when you talk about a story. I wanted to hear your story, but it's inspiring because of what you've created. And the thing that's most important is that you're not afraid to rewrite the story to do what's to, to find things that are in in alignment and harmony with with who John is, as you said. So mm-hmm. you know, I think that that example that you set uh, is going to be helpful for a lot of people. That uh, that you can go out there and 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 be courageous enough to because you've let go of a lot of things. You and your wife have let go of lots of things that, uh, uh, in many ways, probably would have been much easier to hang on to. But uh, 
you didn't do that and that's a uh, testament to uh, to you and your wife's um, uh, decisions and character in life that, uh, uh, and what's important to you so mm-hmm. really good yes, job and, th- and thank you for sharing it uh, with us oh, it's my pleasure sir my pleasure I really I really uh, enjoyed the whole experience and I wish you a lot of luck with the podcast and everything so. thank you John I appreciate best it best of everything and let's okay. stay in touch yeah okay thanks for listening to this is personal rewinding a life If you like today's show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. All of that would be greatly appreciated. You can find me at dansimon.co, on Instagram, dansimontv, or Twitter, at dansimontv. Thanks for listening to the show today. New show will be out on Monday. Have a great week.